0: Chapter 1. Introduction. Meet Ruth. The seeds of the Insider's Guide to the Injured Brain were planted by an unexpected result. A few years ago, I wrote and published a book about building a better brain, being brain healthy, what my brain injury taught me and how it can change your life. Triggered by the car accident that left me in the deep fog of a brain injury, The book focused on how I navigated my 18-month active healing process and how I used that process to think, do, and be better, all by living life more fully. My goal for being brain healthy was to help those looking to improve brain function find ways to thrive by turning up the volume and adding color to what they were already doing every single day. I set out to provide practical, everyday inspiration and exercises to turn daily tasks into brain boosters. Very quickly, I realized that the message went well beyond my original intention. The first clues came from fellow writers who were helping me promote. They told me of their loved ones who were navigating strokes, coping with traumatic brain injuries, recovering from brain tumors, and dealing with the confusion brought on by chemotherapy. Each person I talked to could relate on a deeper level than any of us had imagined. Then the bigger aha moments started popping up, ones that took me completely by surprise. A woman shared the story of how her husband, a survivor of multiple strokes, was wrongly diagnosed with depression because he couldn't find the right words to define his experience. A man reached out to tell me that no one had explained that his wife could lose and rebuild depth perception and that my saying so helped them turn a corner on the road to recovery. Another man told me that his wife no longer wanted to leave the house after she'd suffered a brain injury from falling off her bike. He thought she had just given up until he read about sensory overload and realized that there were things he could do and talk to her about it actually helped her. Huh. I remember the moment when I got it, that so many people from so many walks of life and in so many situations know someone who is either in the fog or emerging from the fog left by a brain injury. Chances are, none of them have any idea how it feels to be inside that injured brain. For me, that was a huge and unexpected perspective shift. I started to see, not just from inside my imperfect brain, but from inside the perspective of those who deal with people like me, muddling through post-brain injury, and I realized, one, how incredibly frustrating all of this is for those living with us, and two, just how little they all actually know. What a strange feeling to understand that not only did my book the one I'd poured my heart and soul into, have a different impact than I intended, but also that my work was nowhere near done. I'd not set out to give a look inside what happens in a changed brain and what that feels like and means for day-to-day life. That whole idea was so far beyond the scope of what I thought I was doing. That, however, was exactly what more people than I could have imagined took away after reading my book. Here are some facts of life that I shared in being brain healthy that readers told me bridge the divide for them. At some point during recovery, many with brain injuries are labeled as depressed. Much of the time, that lack of motivation or unwillingness to talk is not depression at all. In actuality, it's more likely to be apathy, lack of initiation, not knowing how to find the right explanation for their experience or just plain physical and mental exhaustion. Sensory overload is common after a brain injury. Sensitivity to light, sound, smells, touch, tastes, and combination of sensory activities, even in small doses, can set a recovering brain over the edge, resulting in a shutdown. Plain and simple, changes in behavior and emotional control are normal post-brain injury. This is the rule, not the exception. Humor, empathy, and appreciating beauty are complicated processes that just might take time, patience, and persistence to rebuild. And yes, in many cases, they need to be rebuilt, or at least rekindled. The challenge and the scope of this work shifted, and in some respect got so much bigger than me. How could I effectively explain from the inside something that no one else can see or hold in their hands? How could I possibly describe something when, in the most frustrating moments, words are not readily available and expressing multi-dimensional ideas is just not happening? I imagine that it is incredibly frustrating for those on the outside who are trying to figure out what is going on inside the brain of someone they care about post-brain injury. That person looks the same as yesterday, no scars, no casts, no bruises, but is acting, reacting, and interacting differently. What hit me was this. These are all issues that can be eased by simply raising the level of understanding. Knowing, making small shifts to, and adjusting the environment can change the quality of life for both partners navigating the healing process. Just knowing, seeing, recognizing. That was big. I also knew that I could not do this alone. Meet Mary. When Ruth asked me to join her on this project, she prefaced her request with a warning. Writing this book could be difficult for me since I was less than a year out from my brain injury. She cautioned me again, warning me that the process of writing this book and revisiting the memories would likely stir difficult waters. She told me to think it over before giving her my answer. Mentally, I'd answered long before the words came out of my mouth. Still, I told her I'd think it over, and so I did. In hindsight, though, I didn't think about what she was trying to say about the triggers and the emotions that would come. I thought about the writing process and how the writer in me wanted, no needed, something to hold my feet to the fire of accountability. In the months following the accident, I tried to push myself to write on a regular basis, but my inability to hold my focus chipped away at my confidence. That, above anything else, was my fear in agreeing to co-author this book. I feared being seen as incompetent, and the writing process is very revealing. Looking back now, there were so many areas I'd shored up my personal edges for fear of being seen as damaged goods. I knew my cognitive processing had changed after my accident, but I refused to acknowledge, let alone accept, those changes. I feared acceptance meant permanence, and permanence meant who I was was lost forever. That fear dictated my actions to deflect attention and actively conceal what was and wasn't going on inside my injured brain. Perhaps above all, that fear inhibited my healing. I jumped into this project with little hesitation and even less awareness of both the pain and healing that would come of it. I truly thought I had little to explore personally because my brain injury wasn't that bad. Additionally, I was raised with the belief that you could just think yourself well. Fools, as they say, rush in. Armed with those two misconceptions, Ruth and I began writing during early morning video calls. Carefully, I tried to maintain distance between our words and my emotions, denying the full applicability to my situation. Some days were easier for me than others. I don't remember the first or the second or even the 500th time the reality of what we were discussing or writing set off a string of light bulb moments in my head and my heart. At some point, I realized the more I worked to drop the facade and open myself, the greater the personal connection became. And when I shared that awareness with my family, real healing began for all of us. Those moments of vulnerability and awareness brought a different, more authentic voice to my writing and my life. During our writing and editing process, Ruth and I coined many expressions that were fitting for life and quite often, specifically life after a brain injury. One of my favorites that is written out on a post-it note stuck to my computer screen has become both my healing and life philosophy. Back up, accept, and move to next. A few weeks ago, I passed the two-year mark since my accident. In the days before that, Ruth and I reread our original introduction. We both laughed at our original efforts. The words brain injury were carefully avoided, delicately opting for brain changes or brain challenges. I know I didn't want to claim my own brain injury at the time. I wasn't ready to back up and accept so I carefully avoided the label as part of my denial process. Over the course of the last two years, but more specifically the last 16 months we've spent writing, I've reflected a great deal, and now I am ready to move to next. Our shared mission. Together, we set out to shed some light on how it feels from inside of a brain injury to create a bit of understanding and to open the door for healing conversations. We wanted to focus on building bridges to healing and on creating a way for survivors and their support systems to become true partners in healing, forging a shared pathway that might lead to a deeper understanding and a commitment to living a richer, fuller, and more fulfilling life during the process. We invite you to embrace this process together and work through the layers of misunderstanding. We knew that our personal experiences were far from unique and far from inclusive, so we set out to talk to other survivors and their support to better understand and honor their journeys. We interviewed many people as part of this process and peppered throughout the rest of this book, you will find their thoughts, stories, impressions, reactions, and learnings. Every conversation, story, and piece of wisdom that came as part of this process, led us closer and closer to something even bigger. Here, in a nutshell, is what we learned. The fog associated with an injured brain is individual, but just as fog does in nature, it can consume all who are near. This book we realized needed to do more than just include or give lip service to support it needed to speak directly to those who find themselves unexpectedly lost in the same fog as their loved one, a fog that is often every bit as difficult for support to understand and navigate from the outside as it is for the survivor to translate from the inside. But you look so normal was a common refrain amongst those who shared their stories. It hit us that the battle was to get past looking normal in order to navigate hidden challenges and struggles waging in the background. Often, well-intentioned loved ones seek medical clarification and ask for recovery timeframes to aid their understanding. However, as they and countless others can attest, there's no diagnostic tool, magic bullet, or standard time frame for recovery. Instead, the recovery process can be better understood through common experiences changes and behaviors that tend to occur within the lives of people who are working through the fog of a brain injury, even when they look oh so normal. This revelation brought a renewed awareness that there is, in fact, a unifying but little discussed frustration among those who live with and are affected by a brain that has been changed regardless of the origins of that change. Both support and survivors often spend a great deal of emotional and physical energy trying to make things normal again, meaning exactly as they once were, neglecting the opportunity to define and find a new normal. Though it is easy to get discouraged, it is important to remember that these are all issues that can be managed by having this conversation and raising the level of understanding. We've not set out to reinvent the wheel by repackaging clinical information already available. Instead, this book is intended to give a look at what it feels like inside the fog of an injured brain, provide valuable resources, insights, and workbook activities, and help pave the way for those affected by that ominous fog to become partners in the healing process. Did you know that you are more likely to know someone who has a brain injury than you are to know someone who has cancer? Think about that for a moment. No joke. 1.8 million people are diagnosed with a brain injury in the emergency room every year. Another 600,000 have strokes that significantly change their thinking. Almost 3 million people are directly impacted by brain injury every single year. We know that those statistics are not wholly inclusive. Neither of us was diagnosed with brain injury in the ER because we looked and gave the impression that we felt normal. And these numbers don't include those working through cloudy thinking from condition no one keeps statistics on, such as chemo brain, after effects of anesthesia, neurodegenerative diseases like MS and Parkinson's, or other age-related conditions simply change how a person thinks. The next issue is tougher to address because it is far less tangible and incredibly difficult to quantify. There's no specific look to someone caught in the fog of a brain injury. The vast majority look like they did before injury, with few, if any, noticeable changes in their physical appearance. Chapter 1. Introduction. Change. There are rarely obvious symptoms of a chronic brain injury. There's no special parking area for people who regularly forget where they park their car, let alone why they came to that store. In fact, more often than not, from the outside, nothing out of the ordinary seems to be happening, and still the struggle wages within. That last sentence may summarize the single greatest frustration for all involved. From the inside, how can you explain something that no one else can see or feel, especially when the right words are not readily available? Multiply that feeling by a hundred, and you, the reader, might capture the feelings of frustration, anxiety, and sometimes hopelessness felt by those trapped inside the fog and confusion created by an injured or changed brain. Those feelings are mirrored by caregivers, friends, family, co-workers, and others. Collectively, we call them support. From the outside, they see a person who looks the same as they did yesterday, but is acting differently, and they don't fully understand why. Our first step is to look at brain injuries, traumatic and otherwise, as a whole. Where they start, how they build, what to look for, what we can and can't see, measure and how to understand it all.